This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Make sure to stay up to date with us by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. We give a lot of free stuff away there that we can't give away or don't give away on the show. And the show, of course, is about you. We're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. If you're new and you want to know more about what we teach here at the Art of Charm live programs in Los Angeles, check out the toolbox at theartofcharm.com slash toolbox. That's where we've got a lot of our fundamentals, such as body language, eye contact, dating, attraction, networking, negotiation, relationship management, breakups, all that stuff that you wish you'd learned and mastered years ago. And we've got our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. Details at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp or give us a call here in the office or you can email me. I'm Jordan at theartofcharm.com. I read everything and I'm looking forward to meeting you here at AOC. Today we're talking with Scott Stratton, the president of something called Unmarketing. He's an expert in viral, social, authentic marketing, which of course he calls unmarketing because a lot of marketing is quite the opposite. He used to be an industry marketer for the music industry and a training manager of sales, a professor. I mean, this guy's got a great backstory. He's a really cool cat, very authentic guy. We're going to talk about some of the myths of social media, being above your resume or becoming above your resume and unselling yourself, as well as how to deal with trolls versus critics and how to unlearn. Enjoy this one with Scott Stratton. Scott, thanks for being with us. You're the president of something called unmarketing, which is awesome because marketing, when I think of the word marketing and when people who are in my business or, or worse outside the art of charm say things like, oh, you need to work on like your marketing or your internet marketing, it makes me be like, no, I hate that because I think of like, if you don't watch this video, which you can't pause or fast forward or rewind or anything, you will never meet another girl in your life and you'll be fat and have diabetes and you're like, no, and then you've got to like, go through all this fear-based crap, and then it's like, share this, or we won't unlock the secret part, and you're like, uh, here, mom, or whatever. You know, it's just all tricky and manipulative, and, and so I, I don't like the word marketing at all, and so you're unmarketing. So hopefully that means you're not manipulative and douchey, like most marketing. Oh, you just unleashed the veil, and I now you've, you've spoiled everything I do. <laughs> no, but I, I actually came up with unmarketing for exactly the reasons that you said why you, you hate that style of marketing. I'm an old school sales training manager from a long time ago. And I'd, I'd go around the North America training people how to sell. And, and I looked at all this stuff. and I'm like, what can people do that makes them not sound like a douchebag? Mm -hmm. Like, What can we possibly do? And I realized there's everybody has strengths and weaknesses. And my whole vision back then was, why am I sitting there hitting my head against the wall and training people to be better at their weakness so they could be mediocre at them? You know, it makes them uncomfortable. I said, Everybody's got strengths. You find what those strengths are and you enhance those. And everybody else can work on improving what they suck at. I want to make you great what you're good at. And that's where kind of the whole unmarketing side of things happen. That's why there's no one plan for everybody. Like it, it kills me. When I see somebody come out and say, here's our video course, how to succeed at video. I'm like, if you're awkward as hell in front of a camera, maybe it's not the best place for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. Right, but you might be a good writer. Let's work on that. 
as soon as somebody says you have to use this tool in marketing, they're the ones selling that tool. That's a really good point. Yeah, you're right. What's that expression? If you, When you're a hammer, every problem is a nail or something like that? And when you sell hammers, damn, there's a lot of nails out there. That's true. You're absolutely right. Because I get a ton, as you can imagine, of people saying things like, you know what your problem is? You're not on XYZ platform. And sometimes they're right. Like, yes, our YouTube channel, basically non-existent, totally sucks. We're working on that. We'll improve that at some point. But a lot of folks go like, oh, video sales letters are the way to go. And I'm like, really? Because that's funny because I know that most people with video sales letters aren't doing the kind of volume that The Art of Charm is doing. Oh, but wait a minute. It's hard to say, you know what you should do? Be really trustworthy by giving away all information that you have for free, letting people try it out for years on their own, and then coming to you for coaching later because that's not how people get rich quick. It's, it's amazing. It's, people always think it boils down to one thing. And if, if I've ever learned one thing, it's never one thing. It's never, well, you're just missing that. You're just missing this. It's, we want that quick fix, that pill that we can say, oh, that was the problem. And, it's, and the most amazing thing for doing this now for over a decade is people never think it's their content's problem. They never think it's their, their own brain problem or what they're saying or what they're doing. It's got to be this widget or this new social media platform or video sales letter. I, if I get one more email, I swear I still get them. If people say, you should do video email. I'm like, you mean email with a link to a video? It's not video email, man. It's, it's amazing. It never changed that way. They're always saying that. Marketers love this crap. I get things like, oh, you know what? You need this like $100 a month service that I just happen to be affiliated with. You can put a video in there and instead of an email, and it's great because they click on it and it's like low memory and it plays right in there. And then I get an email back when you open it and watch it and I can see how many times you've watched it. And I'm like, I don't care about any of that. Like one, I'm not gonna be like, hey Scott, this is Jordan from The Art of Charm. Just wanted to check in and see how you're doing. <laughs> That's my worst nightmare to sit there and record those things 200 times a day. It's the creepiest thing I've ever heard too. And I've had people pitch those platforms to me. And they, again, they'll have an affiliate link, like you said. They won't disclose the fact that it's an affiliate link, by the way. That's a whole other discussion. And they'll throw it out to you saying, here, you know, I just want people to stop for a second and think, like, how do people consume email a lot of the times now? It's going to be on your smartphone. And when do I get to watch a video? If you send me an email, I'm walking down the street, I'm on the train going somewhere in my car. How practical is that video to watch at any given time, let alone creepy videos of video email that you know I've watched? We're not thinking straight when we're looking at consumption of content either. So what do you mean by that? When a lot of times things are consumed, like podcasts, one of the reasons that we got into podcasting was that the consumption has gone up so much, meaning that people are on their commute. Okay, they're walking the dog, they're working out, they're in their car, they're on, people consume in an auditory fashion a lot, or they like to read. I love video, by the way. I, I have a huge passion for video. I, I love creating them. That's why we do a three camera shoot at our show. But the amount of consumption is fractional compared to something like uh, audio or text because on the go, which people are now, their entire content centers in their pocket, like myself, I have the iPhone 6 Plus, the cafeteria tray style thing in my pocket. I can only watch videos in right settings. I need headphones. I need to be stopped, you know, not moving around usually to watch it. And you don't want to be that guy sitting in the airport gate area watching that video and like just blaring out to everybody else. Video is very inconvenient to consume on the go. It's so true. And I want people to be able to consume my content whatever way they want to. And that's why I think it's important to realize you've got to stop selling those hammers to everybody. Dude, it's so true. It's funny. My girlfriend sent me a picture when she used to commute uh, on the train 
she sent me a photograph of this old guy sitting kind of like across the aisle from her, angling his iPad away from people, and it, it, the reflection was in the window. And it was, he was just so clearly watching porn. <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious. I don't know if she took it. I actually don't know if she took it or if someone sent it to her, but it was so funny because I'm thinking, this guy man didn't even bother like has no headphones and just no, like no. chilling just watching porn on mute on the train and you're right people eight years ago when we started the show people said you know who's going to sit in front of their computer and listen to something for an hour no one's going to do this you're going to have a limited audience well i'm laughing all the way to the bank on that one because now everyone's listening to podcasts because radio sucks there's not many alternatives to that. Nobody watches video on the go. And oh, look, a massive influx of people who have smart devices that all stream pretty much podcasts and a bunch of the same old crap that you can buy or just music. So it's like almost like an, uh, an unfair advantage at this point. The reason this has to do with anything that people care about is because I want to talk about how this sort of affects us socially, you know, and selling ourselves, unmarketing ourselves. And you're qualified for this in, in a lot of ways for people that are wondering if you're just another marketer full of crap. I mean, you worked for Pepsi, Adobe, Red Cross, Hard Rock Cafes, Cirque du Soleil, Saks Fifth Avenue, Fidelity, Deloitte. I mean, these are like legit clients that are paying for results. They're not hiring the schmucky 19-year-old guy from the web who wants to be a digital nomad and all that <laughs> other crap. They're not doing that. They're hiring people who can get results, and that's you. And you're tremendously popular because you don't say things like you need a video sales letter just to pick on those guys one last time. Tell us about unmarketing in our own lives here because I think a lot of folks listening either are in jobs or selling ourselves or they're looking for jobs or they're looking for better ways to sell themselves but we don't think of it as marketing. Again, we hate that but we certainly don't think of it as unmarketing. We just think, uh, okay, I gotta be like, I gotta be personable and hope things work out. Yeah, well, that's the thing with, the world of marketing or unmarketing that we don't choose to market ourselves. We just are. You have no choice. You're doing it whether or not you're trying or not. It's like saying, I don't want to deliver a first impression. Nobody would say that because <laughs> you, right. you're doing it whether it's a good one or a bad one. But people think, oh, I don't sell myself. And I go, oh, no, you unsell yourself then probably. And they're like, oh, crap, I never thought of that. 24-7, every single time, anything. That could be an email. That could be a face-to-face. -face, that could be brushing somebody off at a, a networking event. That's branding. That's marketing. Like insert term here. That's, it's not an on off switch. And sometimes when we think the off switch is, is licked, when we actually do the worst kind of marketing or branding is how we treat the waiter. Right. At a restaurant. Good point. How, we treat a, how we treat a conference staff who's bringing out the overpriced coffee at the event. That that's what people to me. That's what I pick up on. I, I don't pick up if you're on stage or if you're coming up with your card, and you're doing the handshake. That's not what I pick up on. I pick up on your subtle reactions to people, how you look at somebody when you think they're less than you. And here's the best part for me. All I do is give keynotes around the world. That's my only job. That's all I do now. And I walk into a room and now, even more so now, I have a much longer beard. My hair is long. I've got tattoos. Scrub. And I walk into a room and they're like, who's the homeless guy? <laughs> Can I help you, sir? Sir, you, you took the wrong turn somewhere. And, and they look at me until I tell them, hey, I'm your keynote. And their change and their reaction tells me a lot about. Oh, yeah. Oh, hi. Oh, hey, how good to see you. Yeah. Oh, I love the hair now. I'm like, you t that's not how you looked at me before. Right. That reaction, people can see. And it's not part of your branding book that you put out there. You don't, companies, people, anything in this world is always setting an impression. And I hate to call it branding, but that's what it is. When, a, when somebody sees you and when somebody says, hey, do you know Jordan? Whatever they say next about you, 
that's the brand. That's what you've created up to that moment in time. He's that guy who loves his own voice, right? I think I've heard of him. I can't stand <laughs> that guy. And nobody's answer can ever be wrong because brand is simply what's in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. No, that's, oh man, that's, that's a cold truth. It is. And it, I had to realize that myself. I choose not to wear a suit when I do talks. I choose to have a beard and have long hair. Why? Because it's me. Okay, fair. My wife loves it. That's the most important thing. I feel good in it, in my own body. And that, to me, you know, gives me the confidence that then makes that you know, endearing to people or not. I can't really go either way with it because it's none of my business what people think about me. I'm not the one that makes that decision or that judgment. To be fair, you're in a position to do that, right? So like, if I'm 27 and I'm like, I want a new job, I don't go, you know what, bro? I'm not wearing a suit to this interview because this is just me. Accept me for who I am. The last time I had long hair, I was in my last week of college and I was going before my first corporate job interview and I had long hair for seven years. I'm total, I was raised on Metallica and Pantera and I went down to the barber and I said, just cut it off. Because why? Because I wanted and needed a job. I was enough of the, of the name tags and hairnets and I needed a real job in my field and I cut it and I got my job. Funny enough, was in HR and human resources was the field I was in and about six weeks later, I asked my boss who hired me, I said, would you have hired me if I walked in here with long hair? And she said, nope. Wow. Just best point blank. And in HR of all places, she's like, nope. And I'm like, what? She goes, I understand it's not a right thing to do or anything, but it doesn't fit our culture, which is just a nice word for prejudice. Right. No, we're a stuffy company. We don't like it when people have personality. And so if you were to showcase that, we would have rejected you outright. And so I didn't, I didn't grow my hair long. I've always had some sort of facial hair, but I've never grown my hair longer or tattoos until, you know, I haven't had a quote, you know, job in a, a very long time because I'm... Congratulations, question mark. I've been wonderfully unemployed for a very long time. Like entrepreneur to me is Latin for a horrible employee. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Now, I could never work for somebody. It's been so long that since I have. And, but for me, again, I know I've lost clients. I know I've had people not book me to do a keynote because I won't wear a suit. I had one, we just signed a deal. I'm doing three gigs this month. That's a lot of money. And they said, they almost didn't go for it. They said, we're concerned with him not adhering to our dress code. That was their biggest, not content. I love it. Not that I could deliver or not the content. It's, will he conform to what we're comfortable with visually? All right, back to the show. Yeah, it's a lost cause. Hi, we really want to change everything about our image and our marketing. By the way, you have to look like everyone else who works here. We need you to, we need you to say define change for us by wearing a blue suit and a, and a power tie. And here's the biggest part. This is everything for me. Once I was willing to walk away, whether that's a job or a client, then I really could be who I am. You have to be a certain point in business. There was a certain point in my entrepreneurial life. If you told me to shave my head, I would have. You know, because just to make rent. But at this point now, I'm, a, I'm okay to turn away because of a, a small thing to some people. I know I won't wear a suit. I won't wear a go out and get it because that's just not who I am. It's not who I'm comfortable with. Right. And I know I've lost them. I've had speaker bureaus tell me they won't hire you because this banking one won't hire you because you're not going to adhere to the dress code. I'm like, that's their loss. I love the authenticity, but I want to just be super clear because there are guys listening that are like, well, I'm gonna do that, and I get that all the time. I mean, people apply for jobs with the Art of Charm whenever we're hiring, even when we're not, and they'll do things like, oh, uh, yeah, I don't use this type of system, 
And I'm like, okay, well, I don't care. <laughs> Bye. Or like, oh, have you thought about using this? Yes, but in the meantime, you have to do this. And and even just the most elementary hoops for people to jump through, like, send me your LinkedIn and your Facebook, and I'll get like an, I don't use Facebook. And I'm like, well, one, that's bullshit. You just have a lot of shit in there you don't want me yeah, to see. Yeah, yeah. And even if that is the case, make a Facebook. I didn't ask if you had one. I asked you to send it to me. You fail. And there's a lot of stuff like that that you have to jump through in the beginning. But yes, the luxury of being able to call the shots is you, you can call the dress code. And I'll admit it, I saw a picture of you and I was like, oh, this guy looks cool. He's like, you know, pretty rough around the edges. And then I think you'd sent me like a headshot. And that was the second thing I saw. And I was like, damn, dude, this guy like just got out of prison or something. And then I was like, yeah, but he's clearly got his stuff together. But I'm like, if you had just walked in to a meeting like that, I don't know if I would have even been able to disconnect. Well, and I think I, I actually use that to my advantage. I'm sure that you do. Yeah. Tell us about that. I had it a gig at the Venetian in Vegas, and mm -hmm. it's about 1,800 insurance agents, and it's right after the final four. So they had an open bar the night before, sponsored by the company, and I walk in the morning, and I'm wearing like a black t-shirt, my Steve Jobs look, and jeans, and my boots. And I walk in, and I swear to you, the meeting planner looks at me, gives me the once over, and goes, can you go back and change? And I'm about to go on stage here. If you know anything about Vegas, it's about an hour and a half to get from your room to the conference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't just go, oh, yeah, I'll be right back. I mean, just finding the elevator bank for your rooms is going to take you 20 minutes. And so I'm looking at her. I'm, I'm about to walk on stage. Like, this is a lesson on how to try to rattle your speaker. And I look at the guy on stage before me, and he's bombing. He's not doing well at all. And he's wearing a full suit. And I look at her, and I say, I promise you, after my talk, nobody's going to say that was amazing, but I wish he wore a tie. And she just just goes, whatever, and walks away. Wow. I walk up to go on stage. The guy before me, I swear to you, the guy before me hands me his microphone. He thinks I'm the sound guy for the event. Awesome. He thinks I'm a roadie for this thing. I hand it back to him. I look at him. I say, watch this. And I get on stage. I look at everybody, and I can hear an audible, what the hell is this? I can feel the audience just go, what is this guy even walking? Who's crashing the party? And I look at everybody, I'm like, hey, everybody, I'm Scott Stratton. I don't own a tie. I don't have a suit and I don't have insurance. And that's your fault. Here's why. <laughs> and everyone was like, yoink. Oh, what? And I kicked them in the ass for an hour and I got a standing ovation. The only one of the five day event. And I walk off the stage and the woman from before is right there. And she has this kind of embarrassed look on her face. Just stepped in dog poop. Look. Oh, and she's just like, that was so good. I'm like, so the tie was, was OK. I just like dropped the mic moment and walked out. Right, yeah, like Chris Rock, like, raise the mic up and drop it and then just walk off stage. <laughs> just, and that was, like, to me, I, so I address the elephant in the room. I always do. I always kind of do a self-depreciating type of thing because I know they're thinking it, but that at least opens their mind up a bit, and it works very well with, like, I say my brand, but it wasn't a brand thought. Like, this is who I am. The tattoos represent my family. They mean a lot to me. I, I like the beard, and, and I never did that because, hey, this will make me look more edgy on stage. And that's when it comes off false, right? And that's what I don't like. I've seen a lot of people who are entirely unprofessional with a beautiful suit, right? That is more brand contradictory to me than me walking up there in a, a golf shirt and jeans and being who I am. Right. Because it's almost like overcompensation. It's like in Japan, how all the lowest paid guys have to wear like the really nice pressed suit and all the bosses are like, whatever, dude, I don't need that. I don't care. I live in my office. I'm not wearing this. Who gives a rat's ass? Yeah. I've got 23 hours, I'm in this office. So yeah, you work for me. I agree with that. I mean, one of the things I hated about Wall Street was just like 
actually I kind of enjoy the dressing up, but then after a while, after a couple long days, you're like, I'm really uncomfortable. <laughs> but, but you're right. It, your strategy essentially is set the bar really low and then wow them, right? <laughs> but that's that's it. I, I had to talk this morning, right before coming on here, I had to talk this morning and it was all suits. So how can we start to apply these things to ourselves? You know, like, you know, I talked before offline about becoming above the resume. You're kind of above the resume right now. Right. Obviously, right. you own your own business. But how can somebody who, who maybe isn't in that same position start to get above the resume and unmarket themselves? That's the term you have to remember. OK, so that you, you just think about my days in HR, OK, where I had a stack of 200, 300 resumes, depending on the vacancy. And I looked at it and just said, I don't want to go through these. It was almost like, give me any reason to chuck it. Bad staple angle out. Are you serious? Oh, dude, that was it. It was, how can I get this pile from 200 down to 20 or 30 or 40? I didn't say it was right. You cannot go through them all. There's just no way to fill the vacancies you have with the resumes you get. We're talking hundreds and hundreds. So it was more than two pages. You're gone. No cover letter. You're gone. We got to the point where when we put a job ad out there, we'd say, quote, job number 6634 in your cover letter. And the only reason we put that was so that you would show if you paid attention to details. That was it, because that job vacancy number never existed. That's actually my baseball number and Kirby Puckett's baseball number, who was my favorite baseball player back in the day. And that's the only reason we put it there. We wanted to cull the herd of resumes. But here's the best part. I didn't have to look at that stack at all if I already knew somebody for the job, 80% of jobs are never advertised. I never believed it, but I realized it's true. Who wants to go through that process? If you see a job ad out there, especially back in the day when it was only in print, that if you saw a job ad hit the newspaper, that was a last resort. Right. Right. That's the last reason I wanted to, because it costs me money. It takes me time and there's no vetting. Like it just, you fax it, you send it and you get everybody's resume. And this way, putting yourself above the resume is that when I have a need, whether that means you're looking for a job or you're looking for clients, when I have the whole point of unmarketing yourself and connecting with people is that when I have that need, you're the name. That's how I got a job teaching at college here. I am beyond not qualified to teach at a college level at all. <laughs> if you saw my GPA, you would know I'm not qualified for this thing. And when they had a vacancy, one prof went on sabbatical and one retired, and they simply said, who do we know that could do this job. And I had the front room capabilities. I could hold an audience. I could bring a passionate point, but I would never make it through the resume process. And I got a professor level job at a college with no interview, no reference check. And I don't even think a criminal background check, which would have been dicey anyways. I would hope they at least did that, but maybe not. <laughs> but, but you know how I got in? Because somebody who was already a prof vouched for me. And how did they do that? is because when I was a student there, I would barely show up for class. But when I did, I would stay for an hour after talking to the teachers about the topics because I love the topics. I don't like book learning. I love discussion learning. And I would stay with them. And then when I graduated and went into the workforce, I came back to the school to talk to the classes about what it was like out there. I kept giving and giving, not because I wanted a job, because that's the right thing to do. So I, the whole digging my well before I was thirsty, I didn't even know I wanted to be a teacher there until they offered it to me versus how many of those vacancies ever an online site, a job site, or a newspaper? And the answer was it never did. Right. Not many universities are like, crap, man, we need to hit monster.com and fill up these classes. <laughs> we really, this really desirable position we need to fill, and I need an abundance of underqualified people to email me a resume. Like, that never happened. And that was the point where I sat on 
the committee to pick speakers at this giant conference in Toronto in my industry that by the second year I volunteered for this conference where all these students wanted to volunteer because you got to know people, I was sitting on the committee with VPs of my industry saying who would be speaking at the next year, who would be at this one, because my job was to getting to know people and connecting with them versus just hoping it came my way. When you graduate, you get a piece of paper. And that's just the minimum. You know, what happens when you know people and they get to know you? And that was how I put myself above a resume. And that's how I've stayed that way. Back to the show. Excellent. That's really, really good. I mean, I think we talk a lot about this on the show, about how 80% of jobs are found through your network. And if you don't do that, you're kind of just ignoring the game that everyone else is playing by waiting for the least desirable jobs in the most competitive markets, like looking online or in a newspaper or things like that. Doesn't this also work inside your industry? I mean, you kind of touched on that just now about a lot of people go, I don't need to look for a job. I'm a mid-level or senior-level executive at such and such company. I'm never going to need this. And yet you find yourself selling yourself more inside your own company maybe than you would outside. You always are. People are always watching and looking and thinking. It's all that, that whole fancy term of succession planning, right? Where, where do we want to go next? Where do we see ourselves in three to five years? And you might not be able to answer that question if you did an interview, which is a very popular interview question, but companies do. Where do we want to go and who do we need to put in place down the road? If we promote this guy, there's going to be a vacancy here. You are always interviewing for your next potential promotion or firing. Right, yeah. That's why I, I never understood performance reviews and stuff because you're always under review. I've heard about three-month probations. It's my probationary period at work. I should really behave. You're always on probation. That's for work or a relationship, right? You're always being reviewed. You know, people are always seeing it. They're always absorbing it. And if we realize that all of our actions then led to that future, you never know what job you weren't offered. That's a huge part, right? You never know when somebody didn't consider you, especially for that internal move at a company. You never know when you were passed over because rarely anybody ever got told that, well, we thought about you, then we realized we don't like you. People don't say that. You just People say, well, I didn't get offered a job. Well, how do you know you weren't considered but realize whatever your actions were in that company that they, didn't, they weren't up to snuff. That just because you only were half-assed in this job because you didn't think it was worthy of your status, that made you not get the job that was worthy of your status. Huh, stuff you never really think about, especially if you're only looking at the immediate future. Exactly, you never know. You're always interviewing for that next job, inside or outside. It could be a client from the company that wants to hire you on. That happens all the time. You're always interviewing with them. They're always thinking, saying, you know what, I really want that person and the best thing you can have, and I have that running a company myself, is like, I don't know how I can fit this person into my company, but damn it, I want them. Because they're just that good. And that's the impression you want. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. And you want to figure out how to be so desirable that they will actually create the position. And, and a lot of times that has to do with you bringing a bunch of new stuff to the table. And this is probably something you've done a bunch of times with marketing or unmarketing is you say, hey, listen, have you ever thought about X, Y, Z? Well, no. Well, here's why it's super important and you can't live without it and why I'm the right guy for the job. And if they go, well, this plan looks legit, you're hired suddenly for a position that didn't have a budget and didn't exist. Oh, it's amazing what things will create out of thin air when you actually find a, something that gets people excited and they think there's potential in it. It's amazing how that can work, how the purse strings open up and how the, the head count can suddenly shift aside to get you in there. It's 
it's an amazing, amazing world once you actually show that initiative. Yeah, one of the things I've noticed recently is the uh, up, and I actually kind of make fun of it, is the uptick in people who are like social media ninjas. <laughs> Doesn't that just mean you know how to use Twitter and Facebook and like promote things? And like, that's not, I don't need that. It's not a it's, job. It's just been amazing. And being part of my world, it's just, it's a low barrier to entry job. Yeah, just no barrier to entry, actually. No, exactly. I'm sorry, exactly. It's just simply you say you are and it is done. Yes, I have a, I have a Twitter account, so I'm pretty sure that makes me a social media ninja. And you know what? In 2008, that might have made you an expert because yeah. most people didn't have it. But now, and to me, I don't even think that somebody needs a large following in a, a social media space to understand social media. I think that, to me, a consultant or a, a somebody who wants to work for you or anything else, the skill set, what you want to pay for, is not the fact that, like myself, that I have 175,000 on Twitter followers. It's I still have to pay eight dollars for a latte. It doesn't make any difference. What? You're not getting free lattes right now, man. I've only got sixteen and a half thousand followers. I never pay for my coffee. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 dude. I'm trying. <laughs> so what happens is, I, if you have instead of 175,000 followers, you have 175, but you can take the knowledge that's out there that you've understood and apply it to my specific situation. That's where you earn your money. Like I built the following on social media. That doesn't mean I can necessarily just by default do that for a brand or a bigger company or a smaller company or a law firm or accountants. That doesn't mean it's transferable. I can build my brand in my own way because I answer to me. And then somebody else having seven layers of people to answer to, that's a whole different game. So success in one vertical does not mean success in another just because it's on the same platform. So You've created actually quite a large following, unmarketing. You piss a lot of people off, not just by not wearing a suit, but by also being like, hey, you know your genius marketing idea? Yeah, it pretty much sucks, and you're just trying to make money off of it. I mean, you must get trolls and haters all the time, some of whom are legit disagreements, and some who are just like, hey, you're, you're hitting my pocketbook, dude. Quit being a jerk. How do you deal with all the, the trolls, and how would you advise other people in similar positions, with a following or not? Because I've noticed that among my crew of entrepreneurs that I hang with, both online and, and in San Francisco as well, it's just kind of a common thread of discussion because we're sitting here trying to make awesome stuff and then suddenly it kind of like, you hit this weird critical mass where you're like, wait, there's a ton of people that hate me and I don't know what happened. Yeah, I think first of all, you have to separate from what you said at the start there. You have to separate them from a critic who has legit questioning about what you're saying and I think the world needs that versus a troll. The troll is the person that just simply hates. You know, and, and just it comes at you because whatever the reason, they they didn't get a free latte today, or they hate their life, or they don't they don't like where they are, and they actually despise where you are, and they think you did it in a much you know easier way, or was handed to you, or whatever that is. It's none of your business, really, what the reason is. And then you figure out, okay, well, you have to understand that you feed it, and the problem is it happens all the time. And I used to feed the trolls. That's the whole line from the old school online crew, right? It was the, don't feed the trolls. That, that was your, always your mantra, kept in your brain. And I always said, I had a guy come at me once on Twitter. He was a local guy in Toronto. I knew him. I've met him before. I think I bought him a drink once at a networking event. You jerk. <laughs> he randomly, out of nowhere, not even a reply to something I said, out of nowhere, he says, I just watched one of Unmarketing's video talks and I didn't stab myself in the face. I should get a cookie. And I'm like, like, where did this even come from? And I reply back. I'm like, dude, why so harsh? He writes back. He goes, it's not harsh. It's just the truth. Learn how to handle it. I'm like, what? And I, I so somebody sends me a private message and says, you know, why don't you win them over? Why don't you, why don't you, you know, kill them with kindness? And I wrote back this one line and it stayed with me ever since then. I just wrote back. I said, I'm not the jackass whisperer. 
right? And that line is now on my monitor here. It's my sticker. We have a poster series of it and stickers of it because it resonates so well with people. Your job isn't to convince people you don't like yourself to like you, right? Your job isn't to win over those people because they will sap your energy. They will sap your strength. I have no time for it. I really don't. I, if you're on my unmarketing Facebook page and you come in, you're a troll, you're out, right? You're doing it on Twitter, you're blocked. You're in my room and I'm giving a talk, you're removed. Criticism, I, I love debates. But somebody being a jackass, I have no time for because it's all grandstanding. It's all self-appointed. They want to be noticed and they're angry at it. And I, I might seem thick-skinned, but I hate seeing it. I, I, I have uh, hundreds of reviews of our books on Amazon and I can still tell you the one star ones, right? For the very few of them. Why? Because that's psychology. We remember those things. They stick. If somebody walks, I feel great. Somebody walks by and says, you know what? Your nose is too big. You're like, what the, first of all, you're trying to figure out why somebody said that. And then that stays in your brain. Uh, it's amazing. Here's the biggest thing that rubs me is that like on Facebook, I have like 1600 friends, which is 1595 more than I actually have who are real friends right, in my in life. life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But so when I grew the beard out, I grew it out two summers ago I just, out of laziness. I just kind of grew it out and it got pretty awesome like it is now. And people, I'd post a picture of me doing a talk or, or whatever it is or a video. And people would say that I know who are acquaintances on Facebook. We're not going to go and hang out with them tomorrow. But I, I know of them. I'm aware of them. And they'll say something like, oh, you need to shave. Gee, what's this? I'm like, you haven't earned the right to insult my actual physical appearance. And, and the people who have earned that right would never say it. And you know why they say it? Because they don't feel good about themselves. And I actually, so I, this past year, I said, that's it. If somebody does it, I'm going to remove the comment and I'm going to message them and say, that's not appropriate. That's not going to stand for it. Allison taught me this. She's un-Allison on Twitter. She's my better half of everything in my life. She will not allow me to talk about myself that way and let alone somebody else. And if you think I get angry at people for doing that, I just delete their comments so she won't see it. Yeah, nice. You don't want to deal with un-Allison. She, she will stab a guy. In the face. Oh, in the face, and then mend it back up to so it was stitches, and then stab the same spot again. <laughs> nice. That's the amazing part, is to have that. I wouldn't allow somebody to say that about my children. And this sure is a, not going to say it about me. You have to be able to you know, take pride in yourself right. and defend yourself. But and who's like, yo, Scott, your kids need to shave, man. <laughs> your your toddler has a gnarly beard. <laughs> it's amazing. Dude. And the people just think they've earned that right. And that's why we've built a brand here on calling out bad marketing practices. I have never, ever, anything I've ever done, ever insulted somebody personally. That's out of bounds. I just think that those are where trolls go. They go for the jugular. They go for the, the personal. And that's why I never talk about two things in my life, religion or politics. Nobody ever walks away from an opposing view of that and says, that was a good discussion. Yeah, that's true. It never happens. And, you know, I, I'm agnostic in both. I don't believe in, in religion or politicians myself. So it, I never get involved in it. That's when the personal stuff happens. You've, all, you've lost the debate. I was telling my son this yesterday. I said, you've lost the argument or the debate as soon as it gets personal. Because now you don't have facts to hold on to anymore. And that's when you know somebody else has lost their argument. So... The long story short, or longer, is just don't be the jackass whisperer. Don't feed them because they only stay alive if you feed them. Yeah, I've made that mistake. It's actually hard to, or it can be hard, especially when you're kind of new to this. And this isn't just for like internet media people. People are probably wondering how this applies to them. You're going to have trolls and you're going to have critics just by virtue of being alive. There's going to be someone in the office who's like, hey, listen, Scott, you know, uh, you, you turn things in on time, but you really need to manage expectations and figure out 
when your superiors are gonna expect things from you because we don't know if you're on board, we don't know if you have the same vision as us, that's criticism. Somebody going, yeah, this guy's work is all shit and everyone knows it, and letting that leak back to you is trolling. That's trolling, and then here's where the opposite side of that is that what trolling does is it makes people fear being honest. People are afraid now to be passionate because it polarizes and it pushed people both ways. And I knew when I was building my platform, originally was on Twitter where I built everything up, the momentum was I knew that my opinion was gonna be my opinion. And even though you push, you attract people towards you really strongly, you also push people away really strongly with that opinion because you take stands. I never said, well, people kind of do this, they're wrong. I'm like, this is wrong, this is right. I knew full well what I was doing, but I also believed it. And people came at me with that. You cannot get rabid fans without having rabid detractors. That's almost like a mantra. You can't have rabid fans without rabid detractors. It's so true. Often, the detractors tend to be a lot louder. But they do, but it's the vocal minority a lot of the times. They're just loud. Just because they're loud doesn't mean they're right. And so you let them do it. I've had, dude, I've had blog posts written solely about me being the subject. I've had fake Twitter accounts made of just mocking me. People do it all the time. People jump and hijack the hashtag at a conference I'm speaking at. It happens, man. But I just look at it and say, thank God I'm not them. It's uh, it's like when your car gets broken into, you can be like, son of a bitch, I want to kill that guy. Or you can go, who's desperate enough to try to break into my car where I have like 35 cents in parking meter change? <laughs> that guy's got a sad life. Everything's perspective. And I need the perspective, too. That's why I keep the sticker and the poster around my head so I can see it that I realize, you know what, I am not. And my friends will call me on it, too. If I, if I start complaining online, they'll say, dude, I thought you were the jackass whisperer. I'm like. Touche, but you know, shut up, but touche. Yeah, shut your face and also, okay, you're right. <laughs> exactly. Thanks so much, man. I mean, I feel like this took a wildly different direction than what I had normally expected from this. I'm grateful for it. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you definitely want to deliver? Nope, no, that's great. All right, thank you so much. Scott's an entertaining dude. I look forward to seeing him speak sometime, beard and all. Of course, being above the resume and unselling yourself, something we've accidentally been doing here at Art of Charm for quite a while. I hope you guys took something out of that. I definitely love it when people articulate things that we've accidentally done and has worked out, and I hope you guys have experienced that as well. Show feedback and guest suggestions. The show is, as always, a fanarchy, which means it's run by you. I rely on you to help keep me up to date with who's good, who's a great fit for the show, and What's going on in the old interwebs? I'm Jordan at theartofcharm.com, so please hit me up. And if you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank Scott on Twitter. We're going to have that linked in the show notes as well. Our live program, Bootcamp Details, at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. And if you're listening to this but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher, go ahead and do that now. Getting this stuff delivered to your brain, well, at least your phone while you sleep, is a great way to make sure you don't miss anything. Brain downloads, hopefully coming soon in the next decade or so here, right? Alternately, we have our iPhone and Android apps available at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone and slash Android. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. Tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person and or shared on the web. Now have a great week. Leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 